We're in 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is our third Sunday there, and I'm very excited about our study in God's Word for today. So many things come together on this, uh, this day. First of all, today uh, is, is Reformation Day. I, I know you thought it was Halloween, but for those who love what God did in the 16th century and the great Reformation under Martin Luther and John Calvin and, and others, we think, first of all, about the historic importance of this particular day. It was the day when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses, as they're called, his complaints against the Catholic Church of his day, and, uh, and launched the great movement that we know of as the Reformation, which restored to the world a biblical gospel of grace through the Lord Jesus Christ and faith in his name. Now, what could be more important than that? October 31, 1517, that happened 504 years ago. Last Sunday, interestingly, David Williams sent me a text message with this on it. Coffee first reached Europe in 1515. Martin Luther sparked the Reformation in 1517. Beware a caffeinated pastor. <laughs> there you go. This was my coffee cup made for me personally by Aaron Sullivan today, and I have consumed all of it, so watch out. <laughs> you and the devil. Okay. Uh, but there's more. I've been teaching in our Sunday school class on uh, the theology of, of great hymns, uh, Martin Luther's most famous hymn by far uh, is A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It is a great hymn. It is worth studying, but we're not going to do it in our class. We're going to do it right here today. But there's more. I began on October 10 a series on the life of King David. And the most familiar story from that life is the one that we've been thinking about and meditating on for the last couple of weeks, the story of David and his encounter with Goliath. So let's bring those three streams together this morning, okay? Reformation Day, our, our hymn study, and David and Goliath. Put those in a pot. We're going to stir them up, and voila, what pops out is an unusual Sunday message that I call a mighty fortress versus the giant of Gath, or the right man on our side. Here we go. The hymn, and by the way, on your scripture sheet, in your bulletin, you actually just have one scripture. I think you know the David and Goliath story pretty well. And, uh, and then you've got the hymn printed out for you there. The hymn written by Martin Luther is uh, surely one of the church's best known and loved pieces of music. <laughs> it's the only hymn that Luther wrote that really maintained any degree of popularity, at least among English speakers. The German reformer, he was a man who, who loved music. He used it in his own personal raging battles with the enemy of his soul, the devil. Martin Luther's relationship to Satan was unlike any, any other historical character that I'm familiar with. He spoke constantly about the devil and his fight with him. Indeed, if you read Luther, you get the sense that more than pleasing God, he wanted to aggravate the devil <laughs> by the way he lived his life. He spoke constantly about the enemy of his soul. And Martin Luther wrote this, the devil hates music because he cannot endure gaiety. Satan can smirk, but he cannot laugh. He can sneer, but he cannot sing. Have you ever heard the devil sing? See? Uh, part of the Reformation was the restoring to the churches of the practice that we engaged in today, the practice of congregational singing. Singing at that point had been relegated to the clergy who basically sang dirges in Latin. How boring would that be? But Martin Luther, he wrote hymns, real hymns, 
for real Germans who sang of the gospel with gusto. And our hymn for today has three themes which come right out of the heart of Reformation teaching. And the first of those is this battle with Satan. And here's where I'm going to start connecting dots between our hymn and the story of David and Goliath, which is a story of conflict that starts with a terrible enemy, a powerful enemy, who is keeping the people of God locked up in fear. Goliath, Satan, a lot in common there. In the hymn, Satan is called our ancient foe. Verse 1, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. Yeah. That's what he is, our enemy, our foe. First Peter 5, 8, your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And that is precisely what Goliath appeared to do. He said, he taunted the armies of Israel, he said, give me a man to come out and fight that I may destroy him. And Satan is a less visible but an even more formidable enemy who is called in our hymn, the prince of darkness, and that's in verse 3, the prince of darkness grim. The prince of darkness grim. Martin Luther was a Bible student. He knew that in Ephesians, it speaks of Satan as the prince of darkness. It also refers to, refers to him as, as, as part of the forces of darkness. And Satan's goal is to snuff out the light of Christ. His kingdom is called the kingdom of darkness. Christ's kingdom is called the kingdom of Light. These two are in perpetual conflict with one another. So Martin Luther felt that mightily, and that's why his first impulse is to refer to God as a fortress. And a fortress is needed when? What? When you need a fortress. You need a fortress when you have enemies that are out to attack you. In verse 3, he speaks of this world being filled with devils who threaten to undo us. Verse 1 speaks of his great craft and power, how he is armed with his hate, and he's too much for any of us to face on our own. Got that? The devil is too much for you to face on your own. This verse, uh, this explains why the second verse of the hymn begins this way. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing. Martin Luther was a gospel preacher, so he doesn't say to us, hey, you can do it. <laughs> he doesn't say, you've got victory inside of you. Just reach down inside of you and find that victory. No, no. He says to us instead, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're in trouble if left to yourself. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. All right, back to the battlefield with David. All right, in, in the previous chapter there, before the David and Goliath story, we read of how God sent Samuel to anoint David as the future king. God chose David. He sent his servant to anoint him, right? In 1 Samuel, the man of God's choosing happens to be a young unknown who does turn out in the course of our story to be the right man. Of course, in, in his hymn, Martin Luther's thinking about someone else when he speaks of the right man on our side, isn't he? Does ask who that may be? Christ Jesus. It is he. And he must win the battle. Okay, 
How does Martin Luther's musical story about Christ, our victor, how does that intersect with the David and Goliath tale that we've been looking at? Well, Jesus is David's greater son. Jesus is the son of David. He's the ultimate anointed one. He is the Mashiach, the Messiah. He was promised to David back in 2 Samuel 7, where David was told that there would be a descendant coming from him who would be a king and whose kingdom would last for how long? Forever. Indeed. But in our story, David is a type of Christ. He's a prefigurement of Christ. He, because what did David step out to do in the story in 1 Samuel? He steps in to take on and defeat our enemy for us. David and Jesus both. He faces down Jesus, our Savior, our Messiah, the anointed one, ultimate one. He faces down sin. He faces down death. He faces down Satan. And he conquers, not by a sling and a stone, but by a cross and a resurrection. But the gospel, it's all there in 1 Samuel. You could not tackle Goliath on your own. You need a champion, a warrior king to come to your rescue. And David did that for you. Jesus does it in a more profound and lasting way. Amen? That's the right response. Amen. Our Jesus came. Out of the house and line of Jesse and David, like David, he endured discouragement from the authorities. He endured mocking from his own friends, his brethren, the Jewish leaders. But like David, he let nothing dissuade him from fulfilling his mission, from taking on Satan, giving glory to God, and rescuing his chosen people. All right, so Martin Luther tells a story in his hymn. By the way, and I think Brooke knows this, this is one hymn where you can't pick a verse or two to sing. No, no. <laughs> this hymn is a story. And so you got to tell the whole story to make any sense of it. Having let us know that we are in a battle against a powerful foe and that we have no chance on our own, Luther then redirects our focus from the powerful enemy to the yet more powerful Savior. Verse 3, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him, his rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. One little word shall fell him. One little word, like one little stone, and we know what that means in the David story, but that may be the most confusing line in Luther's hymn. One little word? What's he talking about when he speaks of one little word that will defeat the devil? What does that mean? Well, Luther clarifies it, I think, in verse 4, but not entirely. And so we're left to some debate. Some suggest that the Word refers to, to Jesus himself, who is called in John's gospel the Word of God, who takes on flesh. Personally, I doubt that's what Luther has in mind. He has already told us that our main man, our Savior, our champion is Christ Jesus. And here, I think, he is referring to the power of Christ's spoken Word. Think of it. How did this earth, how did the stars get there? What does the Bible tell us? These came into existence by the spoken word of our Lord. His word brought all of this to pass. Then in the Gospels, we read about the power of the words of Jesus. You know, the waters and the winds, they were raging on the, the lake of Gennesaret. And what does Jesus do? He speaks to the wind and to the waves, and he says, be still. 
And they are. He talks to demons, and he tells them to be quiet, and they hush. He tells them to come out, and they scram. He says to crippled people, rise up, and they rise up. He speaks to Lazarus, who is already dead for three days, and he's in his tomb, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, he came forth. This is the decretive, powerful word of the king of kings. Name me something more mighty than that. Martin Luther pointed us to that word, and he said, that word, above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. Jesus speaks into a dead soul, and that soul lives. Jesus names you as his own, and there is nothing the devil can do about it when the Lord says, you, you, you are mine. Mind you, the devil can throw a fit. <laughs> the devil can activate his armies and his legions to harass you. He can do that. You'll notice as you read the book that, God's, that most of God's favorites, I mean, again, as you read the scripture, most of God's favorite people endured a great deal of ill treatment, didn't they? Luther's hymn even says, the body, ah, they may kill, <laughs> as if that's not a big deal. The body, they may kill. And when Luther wrote this, believe me, he knew nobody but nobody would give him any life insurance. No, that, w that wasn't happening. He was a marked man. There was a price on his head. So the conflict rages. It raged around Luther. It rages on now, even though the outcome is made sure because the right man is on our side. If we elect to be on his side, and if by faith we link our lives with Jesus and say the battle belongs to the Lord. So I will take refuge in him, and I will wait for my deliverance. So there, we finish our look at David and Goliath. And we can learn, and we should learn much from the positive qualities of David on display in the story, but the primary lesson is this. Weak and wounded sinners, put your hope in the champion of God's choosing, God's anointing. His name is Jesus. The forces of hell tremble at that name, and the armies of God rejoice and find their refuge. And in a few moments, as we share at the Lord's table, we will sink our hearts more deeply and thoroughly in that glorious truth. So let's prepare to share on the table of the Lord, and then we're going to sing Luther's hymn before we come to the Lord's table. Your team can come on up front, Brooke. <laughs> let's pray. And so, Lord, we rejoice with our brother Martin Luther and all those who came to understand this incredible truth that on our own we are helpless and hopeless before a terrible enemy, but with a great champion appointed by you, we can come out victorious. We thank you, Lord, for that little word from our Savior that will destroy the forces of darkness. We thank you, Lord, that your truth abideth still, that your kingdom 
is forever. And even if they kill the body, we will praise you in your presence without a body until we're raised from the dead and stand in, in the glories of your heavens with your saints to declare the worthiness of the Lamb who was slain on our behalf. So, Lord, we pray that as we come in a few moments to share at this table, that you'll visit with us, that you'll commune with us, that you'll affirm to us the deep love that you have for us, your strength and wisdom as well, that we might more fully than ever before walk in confidence that we have a champion who cannot be defeated, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our Savior who has ransomed us with his blood. So give us joy as we sing this great hymn, as we share in this communion service, and as we leave here today to pronounce your truth, your goodness and love to a needy world. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.